you want to learn more about effective management, head over to madsingers.com and sign up for my free management training. Welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast from madsingers.com, where entrepreneurs and business managers learn and share. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Greg Gibbs. Welcome to the show, Greg. Oh, thanks for having me. Fantastic. And Greg, we know each other already, which is good. Uh, yes, yes, we do. Uh, we've met each other maybe six years ago online, three years ago in person, and now we're back online, I guess. <laughs> yep. All the pleasure of COVID. All the pleasure of COVID. So, Absolutely. Uh, Greg, even though I know you, there is one or two human beings on planet Earth that have still not heard about you. Would you mind doing a brief introduction to them about who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my name is Greg and uh, I'm born in Poland originally. My family migrated to the US, so I grew up American most of my life. Got my management master's degree in uh, marketing in uh, Australia and then I have a business in the Philippines. And uh, so I'm kind of been all over the place, uh, like to travel a bit, explore places. Um, Right now, my business I've had for 10 years in the kind of outsourcing BPO kind of area, staffing uh, staffing area. And uh, yeah, so for the last 10 years, I guess you can say I've been living the dream. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that's where most people want to be. So, Greg, we talked a little bit about sort of remote work and so on before we got onto this. I mean, it is a big topic. Everyone talks about it. And, you know, you, you have obviously been living this for quite a while. But in, in general, how do you see remote work going and what do you see happening here both during and after COVID? Yeah, so before COVID, one of the biggest challenges I had selling kind of remote work services. Now, I'm not a big company. Like, I don't have business part, just me running the show. So my target has also been small to mid-sized businesses. And, uh, you know, the big companies like, you know, AT&T, Verizon, some big brands, they've been outsourcing and you know, setting up call centers with thousands of employees and so on. Like I was never big enough to get those kinds of deals. But the problem with small to mid-sized businesses is that uh, a lot of them are like, oh, no, I really want my person to be in the office. We want to keep an eye on them. We want, you know, we want them to get coffee at lunch, you know, something like that. So a lot of them were not really even set up to do remote work. You know, a lot of people still had paperwork or even if it's computerized, it's, you know, exchanging documents on thumb drives and so on. When I first started, this is, you know, 10 years ago. Um, now, of course, the world has moved towards Google Docs and other remote sharing software, project management software, you know, um, online meeting software that's ubiquitous now. Um, so I think now because of COVID in, in some ways, uh, the biggest objection, which is, oh, we need somebody to be here because we're not set up for remote work. You know, we want somebody in the office. Now companies are being told you cannot have anybody at the office and you have to do everything remotely. So I feel like in some ways COVID is going to be a boon to the industry, especially when it comes to small to mid-sized businesses, because now even smaller businesses are being told you have to go remote. You have to uh, you know, keep that social distance, go online and so on. So I think actually the industry uh, is just getting started. Uh, I think it's going to be a huge, huge thing in the future. And 
you know, there's one bright spot that comes out of COVID, you know, despite the tragedy it's been for the world. But for this industry, I think it's going to be a, in retrospect, we're going to look back on it in five or 10 years and say that was the time that remote work broke out and became mainstream. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And what, what I find really interesting here is I, I think a lot of the small business owners are really opening up their eyes as well to the possibilities, right? I mean, you, you and me both operate quite a bit in the Philippines, but, you know, there, there's amazing human beings all around the world. And I, I really see this being the opportunity for, you know, people worldwide. Like th this could even be expats that, you know, previously really struggled to find work. Like I've, I've like yourself, I've traveled a lot. I've met a, a ton of expats and, you know, occasionally they, they really struggle. Like they maybe had a partner somewhere or, you know, they, they tried to get work remotely and it was really difficult. But now with COVID, I think that is also going to change things significantly for people in those kind of situations, right? Because I, I think it's not just an outsourcing per se, but alone the fact that people actually open up their eyes and see the whole world around them, right? Because a, a lot of us people that have worked in sort of the, online business industry. I mean, we have, we've seen it for a long time, right? And, and I mean, we've been hiring people all over the globe for many, many years. But I think that is really going to open up so much more now. And I, I, I really see, like, we always say this, the world is a small place, right? But I think actually COVID is going to make it significantly, significantly smaller. And we're really going to see people start to take advantage, like even places like Eastern Europe, where they have like, for example, a ton of high, high level developers, uh, you know, they might be one or two steps behind the US, but they're also a 10th of the price, right? So, um, yeah, I find that very interesting. Yeah, I think that's uh, interesting as well with for cities, because a lot of times people who did want to do remote work as expats, you know, sometimes you have an international company set up in Manila or Bangkok or some big city where they have a big office building, hundreds of employees, and they'll hire some expats to be trainers, supervisors and things like that. But now with the remote stuff, it's possible to travel and stay in smaller places or as long as they have Internet access, they're good. And even within the countries, like if you're within a big uh, country in Europe somewhere or let's say in the U.S., you don't have to be in New York or L.A. anymore to work in some industries. You can you can move back to, you know, whatever your home state was or pick a cheaper place to live and still earn that same wage. So if you're a New Yorker, for example, and your office has gone remote and you're making a New York wage, you can go live in Kansas or, you know, a fraction of the cost but keep making that New York wage. So it really does open up a lot of those opportunities. And the other thing that it does for companies is that it frees you for looking for talent anywhere else. Because if you're only limited to your geographical area, you got an office in you know, Austin, Texas, which is a good, rich labor market. But if you just can't find a particular talent or that talent is too expensive there, you, know, you can now hire somebody somewhere else. And it's easy to do if your company is now set up for remote work, because that was the big problem before uh, it's like oh we don't have that set up so if we hire somebody abroad how are we going to keep them or, or anywhere else even within the country just not in the office how do you keep an eye on them how do you give them assignments i've gotten these questions from clients all the time before well how do we give them assignments you know can yeah. we call them it's like yeah of course you can call them 
And it's like, but people really don't know because it's uh, it's a, it was a new thing. So I think for workers also, it's going to be a boon. Like you can apply for work anywhere now. Like if you're living in one area and you have a bad labor market there, you can apply for work in any state and not even have to move there. Yeah. So really opportunities abound. That's why I think the next couple of years is going to be the wild west as things get figured out. Although now, I do hear that some companies are asking employees to come back to the office now that, you know, some places where COVID has died down a bit or, you know, they're not having a spike. Um, and some, some companies are telling employees, do you want to go back to the office or we're planning on returning to the office? And I'm not sure how employees are going to feel about that. My, my staff personally, we, we went home base in March when the Philippine government advised all companies that can do remote work to convert to remote work. And I've asked the staff, well, do you guys want to return to the office when this is over? And everybody was like, no way. You know, some employees have gone back to their home provinces. They're enjoying time with their family, which previously they could only visit on weekends or something. And they're like, no, sir, no, sir. We want to stay where we are. You know, like this is great. So I think employees are also being converted to this kind of lifestyle. Um, whereas previously, a lot of employees were actually reluctant. When I asked my staff before if they want to go home base years ago, they were like, no, sir, we want the office. We want to have the equipment, this, that. Like, we want to go away from the house. And now it's a complete 180. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I like what I really see, I mean, places exactly as you said, like probably New York and, and particularly like California, I think are going to be losing out big time with this stuff, right? I mean, we've already seen a lot of people move, but I think I think this is only going to accelerate things with them, right? Because suddenly they don't have the same pool from people having to live in a physical location to, you know, be part of the the main mud, right? So I, I think that's definitely gonna that's definitely gonna hurt some of those states, particularly in the U.S., right? But uh, but yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing with uh, small businesses, you know, I know a large chunk of your audience is small businesses. They're thinking, well, how does this work for me? I think the question you have to ask yourself now is if you're hiring and you're used to hiring local, you just have to ask yourself now, well, if I, if they just need a computer and internet to work, why do I have to stay local? Like, why should I pay $4,000 a month salary or, you know, some sort of operations manager who's going to work at home on the internet when I can get the same position filled for half the price somewhere else in the world, be it Europe, be it Asia or wherever else, yeah. you know, so you can think strategically. And now with money being tight and, you know, a lot of companies right now, from my experience, at least are not spending on anything except essentials. Like, you know, if you're providing an essential service, of course, you're going to get those contracts. But if you're providing something optional, like some new experimental marketing thing or whatever, nobody wants to talk to you right now. At least that's been my experience uh, from what I'm hearing from people. Um, but with money being tight, I think the incentive is there. It's like you can now hire remotely, save money. And that's a huge thing just for the cost savings. And at the same time, maybe you even get better talent because the work ethics are different place to place. Yeah. You know, in a lot of places, especially if somebody knows that they're in demand, you know, they will kind of act like the superstar, like, oh, you need to pay me this, do this for me. Because, you know, you, who else are you going to hire to fill that spot? But now that you free yourself up from that as an employer, you can say, okay, maybe I don't need to deal with that attitude. Maybe I can just hire somebody who's got equivalent skill or maybe better skill, but has a much better attitude in a place where people appreciate the job. Because yeah. I think as an employer and boss, for me, you know, I've 
had hundreds of employees mm-hmm. over my 10 year period come and go. And I think that attitude just matters so much. It's like a toxic attitude in the office or even on a group chat, if it's remote, could really be destructive to the psyche of the company. It could cause your good employees to resign also. You know, yeah. I've had that situation before where good employees resign because, you know, later in their exit interviews or much after the fact, if I kept in touch with them, they'll tell me, oh, you know, I really didn't like the way this was happening in the office or that was going on. And it was like, wow, really? I didn't know that was a problem. I wish I knew before. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's the problem. But now you have a bigger labor pool, so you can be more picky as an employer to pick for attitudes and work ethics. Just one last thing for me before we finish this off, because particularly in the U.S., I've had a lot of people tell me, oh, but, you know, I want to hire American and I want to help U.S. companies and so on. And I, I, I totally get the mindset. And the one thing I would say is my experience is actually that it often does help Americans, even when you outsource abroad. And I'll, I'll explain why, right? Because what, what happens is for most businesses, some stuff, some things they have to get done are very, very basic, right? And it can literally be done by anyone. Now, if you're, you know, in a state where minimum wage is 15 bucks an hour, there's a lot of stuff that it, it doesn't make financial sense to actually do. So uh, some of the examples would be things like lead generation, where, you know, there, there might be certain types of lead generation. For example, a lot of stuff happens on LinkedIn, where, you know, it's not worth it paying 15 bucks an hour because you actually make less money than, than you bring in. However, these are some of the things that if you actually go and outsource them, the cost is significantly less, which means you can actually afford to do it and still, you know, make a little bit of money from it. And here's the kicker. What that does is that actually enables you to hire more people within the U.S. as well when you actually get some of those smaller things dealt with at a cost-effective rate. So basically what I see is the companies that outsource, it doesn't necessarily mean they hire less people overall in the U.S. They often end up hiring more because they actually have the financial capacity to do so. But the way I look at the business is you always need to look at tasks happening and trying and understand does it like if you're sitting copying pasting data, right? Like some of some of the clients we work with is, for example, in e-commerce, where you know they're sitting getting one order and then they're placing the that that exact order in a different system. Now the thing is, if again, if they have to pay someone fifteen bucks an hour, that that's never going to work for them, right? They're not going to actually have a business doing that. But the fact that they actually have some people at a lower cost doing that actually enables them to grow and scale their business and therefore actually end up hiring more people within the US, right? So I, I agree. So, I agree. Yeah. Totally not always the case. And there's definitely, I totally get that there's exceptions, right? But definitely what I've seen is that there is quite a bit of benefit also to US companies uh, to utilize the outsourcing environment. Absolutely. I think it almost never backfires because there's layers to this. Even if you personally hire less people in the U.S., but you can provide a cheaper service now to your clients, your clients are saving money, which allows them to hire more people. So even if you're not the one directly creating more jobs, you're indirectly creating more jobs. 
in the US. Like resources, if you study economics, should always be allocated the most efficient way possible. Yeah. But I think the other thing that people take for granted is the wage gap, which I think actually maybe, I don't know how much this is being covered out there, but I think the wage gaps around the world are going to close up if remote work becomes the new normal. Because once people in third world countries, for example, where the wages are, let's say $500 a month, $1,000 a month for a position that in the US would cost 5000 once they figure out they're also in demand now, they're competing at that level they're going to start demanding higher wages also. So I think, and, and then as a by, uh, byproduct of that, people in the West who are not providing a super valuable service might have to lower their salary expectations to be able to compete for those kind of jobs. So I think, you know, wages are going to get flattened around. Now, of course, the nationalistic view is that, oh, you should help your country first, but I mean, in my opinion, everybody has a right to compete and, you know, like somebody just because they're from another country doesn't mean they should be doomed to poverty or not have opportunities, especially if they can help do a better job and kind of like raise the wealth of the world, if you will. You know, so I think, you know, I, th I think, yeah, there's different ways of looking at it, what your priority is. I mean, if you want to just hire American or just hire British or just hire French or whatever, that's fine. You have a right to that and you will have to charge your clients accordingly because of their costs. So you might not be able to compete on price. But if that's your niche, that's your niche. That's there's nothing wrong with it. I, I don't I don't disagree that everybody has the right to try it and then just see how the marketplace reacts. But I yeah. think there's nothing inherently wrong about giving the market other options. You know, like I used to work in retail sales when I was in college. I was working at a store selling computers, things like that. And I've never had anybody come up and ask like, oh, where was this thing made? Because I only want to buy American or, you know, whatever. Or I want to avoid some country or something like that. I think maybe it happened like once or twice in the five years I worked retail. Maybe, you know, a handful of times like that. But for the most part, consumers also want the best prices because if you save money at home then you're gonna also have more money to spend on other necessities and things like that yeah. so i think uh that kind of argument which i have received from prospective clients before where they're like oh, i really want to hire american or something you know uh, when i was selling in the u.s so i think you know th that does come up but i think it's a short-sighted way of looking at it sure yeah, I mean, fundamentally, I mean, my mindset in business have always been, you know, I want to I want to create the biggest businesses I can and I want to hire more people, right? Because I, I fundamentally believe, like, e even now when we look at the world, right, I think fundamentally the biggest challenge the world is seeing is lack of employment. And I, I believe that if you can help add employment, you're doing good things in the world because the more people being employed, the less issues there will be. And I, I think even now looking in the US, obviously it, there's bigger things at play, no doubt. But in, in the end of the day, the, the more unemployed people, the more problems you will have. And I think that's universal for all countries all around the world, right? So for me, employment generation is absolutely key. Yeah, absolutely. As long as it's done in a sustainable way though, because yeah. every employee should contribute value to the company uh, yeah. because a lot of people do i have met people who uh, believe that some kind of makeshift jobs are good like oh you should just hire more people just to do this you know like unimportant work just so you can provide jobs and in my view a job that's not productive isn't it's pretty much the same as charity or donation it's not really 
helping the issue and also creating or keeping jobs artificially in place for people who aren't qualified prevents them from learning new skills. I think the biggest driver for people to get out there and advance their own careers, advance their skill levels and work hard is knowing they have to do it to compete. Because if you tell people, okay, no matter where you are, you don't have to learn anything new. Don't open a book, you know, uh, and we'll provide a job for you. Then you're keeping the world down. But if, if they know they have to learn more and do better and be more productive to keep their jobs, then they'll have that incentive to keep learning, advancing. And as they become more productive, the whole world becomes more productive. And then, you know, people achieve great things. You know, we're, you know, we've landed on the moon already. We're going to land on Mars at some point, you know, with people and all those kinds of things. Those kinds of advancements aren't possible if all the technologies that underlie it would not be advancing. Like if we were still crying over uh, telephone operators who had to physically connect lines together, you know, we should save those jobs, you know, we shouldn't automate that or outsource that, you know, where would the world be, you know, where if, if, we, if we went that route. So I think progress is always good, but we do have to understand also as employers that progress can be painful. So I think the callous attitude of like, oh, well, you know, uh, it's like economic Darwinism. Well, sorry, you're out of work and you have no food. That's also not a good way to go. I think there should be a balanced approach where either government or businesses through organizations, charities, or educational institutions provide people a path forward. So people who are really being displaced by the advancements, by outsourcing, for example, even, they should be told like what other options they have. People shouldn't just leave them in the dust and say, well, we don't care about you, bye. You know, we should tell them, hey, look, this, this job is going away. Here's the trend, but here is something you can learn that you can contribute to. And then, you know, you can even make more money than you used to make in this old job that's now going away. So I think people should be given a hand up uh, in, in that case. And, and one, one of the key things that I see particularly around that, Greg, is the fact that, um, you know, pe people are like, oh, yeah, but, you know, I'll never learn to be a developer. And, and while that's probably true for a lot of people, like there's still a ton of work. There's still a ton of jobs and, and you know, work getting completed that where you don't need to be a technical genius, right? Like it's not all about tech and, and there is lots and lots of jobs still available. You know, if, you, if you're a truck driver and suddenly they automate, uh, automate truck driving, right? Like there's still jobs that, you know, can be done they might need a little bit of tech skills or, you know, the ability to use a computer, et cetera, but you, you don't need to be a computer wizard in every job on the planet, right? And I think that's what, one of the arguments that I see once in a while that, that kind of puts it to the extreme is basically people saying, oh, I'll never learn to be a developer. And I, I again, that's a, I, I think that's a difficult mindset, right? Because you don't need to be a developer, right? Like you don't need to be a tech genius to get a work. Uh, and yeah, there's definitely some areas where that ha that's helpful and well paid, but there's also plenty of jobs and there's plenty of opportunities where, you know, a very different skill set can add a lot of value still, right? I, I agree, but there's also the attitude problem. Uh, for example, I've met some uh, people who are particularly older and they'll be proud of the fact they never used email or that they don't, oh, I, I never knew how to use the phone. And they kind of like brag about it like it's a point of pride that they're technologically illiterate. 
And I think as a society, we need to kind of change that so that, you know, people keep in touch with the latest developments. I'm not saying like people should be taking computer courses or something, but, you know, oftentimes, for example, like, you know, even some friends or family members will call me and say, oh, I got this error message. What do I do? Well, what's the error message said? Oh, it says insufficient memory, delete some files. Okay, what should I do? Well, it says delete some files. Just go delete some files, right? It's like an example like that. It's, uh, you know, a lot of people are feeling like, oh, something came up. Uh, I should just go to a, a, somebody who knows about computers and do it. Like, you know, just read the prompts, figure it out. You know, if you can know how to use a computer, a phone and all those kinds of things, at least to a decent level, not yeah. saying going to be a wizard at it, just, you know, have the attitude of like, you know what, I will click something and see what happens. You know, it's like very rarely will you completely disable a device by just, you know, doing something in software, you know, usually if you screw up something in software, most of the time, there's probably a few exceptions out there, but 99% of the time, you can easily change things back or reset them or whatever the case is. So don't be afraid to play around with it. Yeah. Um, and also, I would say employers, if, if you're an employer who relies on staff to do everything technical, you know, I think it wouldn't hurt to learn how to, you know, edit a graphic in Photoshop. Now, yeah, sure, you don't have to do a whole you know, a bunch of filters and that kind of stuff. But if all you need to do is write some text over a background and export it as a JPEG for your profile photo or something, you shouldn't need to rely on a graphic designer for a, you know, 45 second task like that. And, and also knowing the basics allows you to kind of know what's possible. And if you're ever hiring somebody for those skill sets, you can kind of like have an idea if you're being ripped off or not too. Because if you have zero clue about anything technical, and, you know, that's a point of pride for you, then, you know, who knows what your employees are doing, you know, like maybe they're ripping you off. Maybe they're taking 10 times longer on tests, particularly if they're going remote, which is the topic here. You know, like if you tell somebody who's working remote, make me this WordPress site for my new service or I'm opening a new salon or whatever. How do you know if, if it takes them three weeks to do it? How do you know that they actually did it for three weeks? Because, you know, that could be done in a day. But they could tell you, oh, it's going to take you three weeks. Now you're paying them three weeks salary for one day's work because you don't know better. You don't know anything. Yeah. Yeah. No, valid point. Valid point. Totally. Yeah. And I think educationally, you know, out there, you know, of course, college, universities are super expensive, things like that. But, you know, if you don't need the diploma, you just want to learn the skill, just YouTube it, you know, Google it. I think if you go on YouTube, if you enter on YouTube, anything from learning formulas of theoretical physics to fixing some super obscure problem in Ajax code or whatever technical stuff, you know, you will find a YouTube video, like almost guaranteed that you'll find a YouTube video that explains step-by-step how to do it for free. You just watch it on YouTube. So I think, you know, people need to look it up more. You know, I used to work in computer repair for a bit also, and it was super common for all of us, you know, customer drops up the computer, tells us the problem, we take the computer in the back and we're just Googling it. We're typing in the error message verbatim into Google and following instructions somebody posted on some obscure forum. And it's like, boom, we fixed it. You know, it's like, you know, yeah, we're computer technicians. We have our certifications, whatever. But for a lot of things, like we end up just Googling it too. Like, so it's like, learn how to Google people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's very interesting, right? Because I I mean, I, I remember even the, the first time I started working corporate and I had to learn how to tie a tie. Like I had no clue, but you know, <laughs> I YouTubed it and it worked. 
right? So yeah. uh, it's not just, I mean, it's not definitely not just about technical things, right? But I think particularly, particularly for, for the more experienced generation, I think, I think this is definitely one of the things to learn, right? Like, because a lot of the mindset over the years have been very much, you know, you go to get an education, then you know what to do, and then you can do your job. But I mean, nowadays, education is fluent. It's constant. If you go and take a five-year education today, when you come out, everything has changed, right? So it's, it's not that you learn something that you can then use for the rest of your life. It's you learn something so you understand the concept, and then you need to keep educating yourself and keeping yourself up to date with the latest developments, right? And that's e- even sort of some old-fashioned professions like accounting, right? Like if you learn accounting today in school, you know, five, 10 years from now, when you're actually out there using it, like the systems will be totally different. The rules will be totally different. Like so much have changed that, you know, as a, as an industry professional, your goal is to stay up to speed with it. Right. And that, that's what it takes. Yeah, and I think it's true for both sides. I think for the employee, it's important to stay in touch because sometimes, you know, employees will get a job where a company uses one particular CRM, for example, and they'll they'll never upgrade because, you know, companies, we don't like to upgrade often because we, we don't like creating extra friction. So maybe I stick with the same CRM for five years, even though there's so many new things out there. But when you lose that job and you're looking for another one, same job title, same job, a different CRM, just a different software, now you're lost, you know? And I think... It's good uh, to always have that education where even if you're doing well in your work, you know, spend an hour a week Googling around for stuff in your industry and just kind of see what's out there just so you at least kind of like have it in your mind. And as an employer also, you know, you should be looking up kind of how, to, how things work so that you're a little bit educated about when you hire people, when you're managing people, and plus just to get new ideas because sometimes you have a routine that's making you money now. But, you know, when the industry changes and it could change fast, as we saw now in COVID, so many companies that were doing so well now upside down, you know, it's good to have options. So if if you, for example, do prefer to have local workers and you're fortunate enough to be in an area where COVID hasn't hit too hard and you're able to meet with your staff, why not set things up for remote work so that if ever it gets worse in the next few months or something, you know, maybe you have an option where, okay, now we can easily not lose productivity. We'll just all go home and we already have the system set up, you know, don't, uh, you know, just, just kind of prepare for those possibilities or at least, you know, watch a couple of YouTube videos on how to set up Google docs and things like that. Zoom meetings. So, you know, how those things work. Um, you know, you don't have to even know how to do it yet, but now at least, you know, what's possible and roughly what's involved. And if ever you have the need, you're like, Oh, Here's a problem. I know what can solve this Google Docs or they have an app for that. I saw it on a YouTube video once or something. Yeah. So I think that kind of constant education is super important. Uh, and I feel it should be scheduled. You know, people schedule workouts, you know, like, oh, I'm going to run three times a week. I'll do lifting twice a week and so on. They put that in their calendar. They go to the gym on time. Why not schedule one hour of I'm going to Google stuff about my profession this time? You know, every Thursday afternoon or something, I will spend one hour on Google, look at some developments, read a couple articles or blogs about, you know, whatever area I'm working in. I think that's already enough. Like it's like a mental workout because when it times come, when the time comes to use that knowledge, if you haven't even started learning about it, it's too late. You know, it's like you have to absorb it over time because, you know, you read something, you have to let it 
kind of absorb into you, you read something more. And over time, you build up the knowledge. Like, you know, people always say, personal trainers will say, oh, if you work out twice a week for one year, after one year passes, you're going to see amazing results, you know, in many cases, right? Because it's like that workout builds up. Same thing with this. If you read for one hour a week for one year, you'll be a completely different person in one year. Yeah, totally, totally. And um, I, I think, I mean, particularly back to your point, right? Like, I think what we saw with COVID was there was companies who were just like, oh, I don't know what to do. I can't do anything, etc. And then you saw companies that were super creative in how they could continue providing service. You saw some restaurants, for example, that had never done delivery, that literally within a couple of days of lockdown, they were literally, like they literally turned the whole business into a fully remote delivery business, right? And they were, I mean, people still needed food. People are still ordering food and they could deliver, right? And then you yeah, saw absolutely. other people in similar circumstances just sitting on their hands and saying, oh, you know, the world is going under. So I think that mindset of uh, that you just talked to and looking at opportunities and, you know, what, what are the options, what are the possibilities is, is definitely a great mindset to combat situations like that, right? Absolutely. And I think it comes down to how you think of your business, because I think a lot of people will think of their business as a particular mission. Like, oh, our goal is to provide the best restaurant experience for, you know, older couples or something like something very specific. And they don't think like so when when an when something happens, they don't think like, oh, we should just do a different mission. Let's just be a best delivery service or something like that. They're like, oh, there's no way we can complete our mission. We give up, you know. So, for example, uh, like in, in my case, you know, I lost some call center uh, clients because of the whole situation because all of a sudden we can't call on businesses that are closed anymore uh so it's like we lose that but instead of saying like oh i guess i'm just gonna you know put up my hands and i'm screwed it's like okay well if people aren't uh, picking up the phones right now because of lockdown maybe i could put that staff to work on something else you know maybe we could do some sort of other online stuff some wordpress stuff some you know whatever other tasks you know maybe we can look for something there in the meantime so instead of like thinking of myself, oh, I am a call center, it's like, no, we could just, our mission, and I always tell my staff this, our mission is to do what the clients need, and that's all. So whatever they need, uh, if we can reasonably do it or train on it, we'll do it. Or, you know, we'll, we'll get the right people in place to take care of it. It's not to, you know, fulfill a specific task only. Because yeah. Tasks change all the time. So if, if your company's mission is married to a very specific procedure or task you're really setting up yourself for failure in the future you have a basically you have a time limit until you stop making money and the problem with it is and i've been in the situation before you never know when that shot clock expires you know like you no. never see it coming you know it's like you're making money one day and then you know you lose something you know you lose a client you lose some sort of uh situation happens or whatever and then all of a sudden some new competitor pops up you know like blockbuster didn't see netflix coming even though in hindsight, it's plain as day. It's like, of course, DVD delivery and then online stuff is going to dominate. Like in hindsight, we're like, how did not they didn't see it coming? But Blockbuster, I heard, passed up on buying Netflix when they could have for a cheap price because they were like, what are you talking about? People want to, we want to be a video store. We want people to have that experience of looking at DVD covers, you know, like yeah. it's like they're not thinking about what's possible in the future. Like, you know, you should, so, and they never, they never probably realized that they had a expiration date on that business. 
And every yeah. business has an expiration date, even mm -hmm. ones that seem inevitable. People say Google and Facebook are, you know, such a mainstay, they're never going away. But I heard the same thing about MySpace before and Hotbot, <laughs> Yahoo Search, right? Yeah. It's like, those were also like back in the day, it was like, what? Facebook's never going to take off. We all have MySpace. What are you talking about? Yeah. You know, and it's like now Facebook is, uh, you know, maybe, I mean, they're still doing very well, but there's a lot of competition out there and all that. They're not going to be around forever. Even smartphones, you know, there's going to be a time someday in the future, maybe not anytime super soon, that smartphones aren't a thing anymore. We'll have some other communicator device or, you know, whatever technology. Suddenly the, smart, suddenly the smartphones aren't very smart anymore. Exactly. Exactly. So I think relying on any particular process technology, which is a big warning to all of you app companies out there, you know, or companies that rely on Facebook or Instagram or something for all of their marketing or, you know, their entire platform, because you don't own that platform and it could go away anytime, not just because that network goes down, but, uh, or, or eventually ends, but, you know, Instagram can easily ban you or something for whatever reason. And all of a sudden your business goes away. It's a dangerous place to be. I think there's nothing wrong with using those platforms to make a living. That's what they're there for anyway, but have a backup plan. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I've seen it multiple times as well with, with our businesses, right? I mean, at one point we were, we were doing a tons of medical transcriptions and suddenly the hospitals got these tools that did it automatically. Right. And we were like, well, this is probably going to last us for many, many years and be a very profitable business. And, you know, suddenly someone somewhere else were, were able to do it automatically. So our services from one day to the next were literally no longer needed. And, yeah, and yeah, I think that just all underscores yeah. that what we're saying is that, you know, you have to uh, research the developments in your industry so you can see these trends coming. Because if you're just focused on your business, you shut out the news, you shut out everything else, you're just doing your one thing, you won't even see it coming. By the time you do, it's too late. So yeah, continuing education for everybody, employees, employers, you know, the world we live in is increasingly more competitive. So, you know, back in the day, you hear stories like, oh, I was the first person to start an Italian restaurant in the city. So by default, I win, you know, yeah. it's like those days are gone of being the first and only kid on the block with some sort of business. And if you do come up with such an idea, uh, because of the way technology and information moves and people can easily copy it these days. Uh, you know, you're not going to last long as the only kid on the block. You know, Bitcoin came along and how many coins do we have now? <laughs> like, yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's just, yeah, there's, there's always going to be competition. There's always also going to be somebody smarter, more funded and better organized than you out there. So you have to kind of do your best to stay afloat these days. Like resting is just not an option. Maybe when you retire, and you have your piles of money and investments annuities whatever maybe then you can have a rest but even then you still have to keep an eye on those markets because they change fast too yeah. so excellent greg i think this has been a super interesting podcast and a super interesting discussion i definitely hope the audience have listened and takes away a lot of value from it so thank you very much for joining me All right. thanks a lot Matt, for having me and uh, we'll catch up soon excellent thank you Thank you for listening to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Please leave a review. It means the world to us. You can also learn more about management at madsingers.com.